You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Listeners, I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. In case you're new to our program, it's my goal and the goal of all my guests to provide you with interesting information that could educate you or change your life and even improve your relationships, especially that. I thought about the goal of life and the goal of this program, and I came up with this analogy. Life is like a rainbow. It offers us opportunities to view it from various perspectives. It's breathtaking. It isn't a straight line, and we never know what the end looks like. The opportunities rainbows offer us for noticing, for soul renewal, and for magnificent inspiration disappear in an instant and without warning. Grab any rainbows that come your way. Each of us can become our own rainbow and a rainbow for others. We don't do this by giving advice, but rather by listening, planning, loving, and by offering emotional support to ourselves, yes, ourselves, and to others. Think about how we usually stop what we're doing to look at a rainbow that has gloriously appeared in the sky. That is what we have an opportunity to do with our friends and loved ones. Stop, listen, enjoy, treasure, embrace a fleeting moment. I'm endeavoring to be a rainbow. It's not easy though, but I think if I can do it, anybody can do it. As a few weeks ago, I had a patient visit my office with an issue about depression. She had raised three active children who were now either in college or were married and creating a family of their own. My patient said she felt useless, like her purpose was gone. She felt like she had come to the end of her rainbow, but at the same time was living in hopes that she would find it again. It's my experience that the same thing often occurs when people retire. Their job has been an important part of their identity. Now, many of them ask themselves, what should I do with myself? Their rainbow has disappeared. And here's some interesting statistics for us. People live longer if they retire early because retirement can alleviate stress. But many, however, experience a loss of identity. A May 2018 Gallup poll found that non-retirees say they will retire at age 66. If the average life expectancy for females is about 87.8 years and for males is 84.4 years, what are we going to do with all those years between when we retire and when we move on? Where is their rainbow after leaving their jobs? And I thought about this, and I thought, who do I know created a rainbow when she had an empty nest? So my guest today, 
calls the empty nest and the retirement life milestones the mid-chapter, and I absolutely love that idea, the mid-chapter. And I, in fact, I think she created a new way of thinking about these life changes in a very positive way. And her story gives credence to her mid-chapter idea. So instead of thinking about retirement and empty nesting, let's consider these times a life of mid-chapter. Today's guest, Lee Martin, left college to raise her two children. Her husband created a very successful legal career for himself, and to this day he's still running his own law firm. I won't tell you how old he is, but he's still running his own law firm. When Lee's children moved on to college, there was Lee and an empty nest, and instead of wondering what she should do, she decided to live her dream. She acquired degrees in psychology and anthropology from the University of California at Berkeley, and then she went on to get a master's degree in cultural resources management, which is also known as archaeology and historic preservation. Today, we are going to hear Lee Martin's story about how she created a fulfilling, happy, joyful mid-chapter for herself. Lee, welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. It's such an honor to have you as today's guest. Good morning, Ann. It's nice to be here. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you. Would you tell us what it was like to have your children leave home to attend college? Sure. It, I was really excited for them. They were ready to leave home and were going to good schools. Yet, there was some sadness. When the first one left, I remember crying on the way home after dropping my son off at his college dorm. It was the beginning of the end of a good stage in my life. By the time the second child was dropped off at her college dorm, it was business as usual. I had moved on to my mid-chapter and ready to focus on completing my college education. Wow, it sounds like you really had a goal even before you became an empty nester. So I guess we could say, think about this as your kids reach high school age. Like, what do I want to do when my kids leave, when they go to a work or go to college? Very interesting that you did that. I, on the other hand, was really happy when I dropped my kids off. <laughs> so, <laughs> We all have very different experiences, but what was your day like before you created a mid-chapter for yourself? Oh, it was a busy, busy time with family and friends and home. I loved to cook and entertain. The kids always had friends around, and we had lots of pets. Uh, we liked to spend time in the mountains and hiking and uh, especially skiing in the winter. Skiing was a family sport that I'd grown up with, and our kids really enjoyed. It was a, a bonding experience to have us all together. I, I bet it was. And I remember, as I just mentioned, uh, I used to dream about my children being off on their own, and I usually dreamed of that after a day <laughs> of dealing with sibling arguments. Like, Mom, somebody did that to me. You have to punish them. Did you ever experience sibling arguments? Thinking, oh, I can't wait till my kids are out of here. Oh, there were times, but 
the answer to your question is really yes and no. Um, My kids were really busy with their school activities, Uh, my son in sports and and our daughter in drama, and they really didn't uh, argue so much. I don't think they were around each other enough to argue. And my son was a serious student in high school, (laughs) unlike my daughter, and he already knew exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to go to medical school. And he did really well without much guidance. Uh, my mother, or my daughter, on the other hand, marched to her own drummer. And they were so, so ready to leave home that it did make, them, make it easier for me to let them go. Well, I think that's a great thing. I didn't have that. And actually, I should have a program about what to do about sibling arguments. arguments. <laughs> so I'll, I'll write myself a note on it. Because... <laughs> Because I thought, I am so done with the arguing, and I have three children, and I used to call them, I hope they're not listening, the visectomy poster children, because you come to my house, and there was one argument after another. Sorry, kids, if you're listening. And and I was wondering, as you think back to that time, was your identity being a mom and a wife, or was it more of a relationship identity than a career one? Oh, absolutely a relationship identity. I was truly invested in being a wife and mom. I I was active in the kids' school and community organizations and social groups, which were fun uh, for my husband and I, and we had a nice group of of friends. Uh, There was a lot of organization and planning with the kids' schedules, and I really liked that. Um, it, it really gave me a purpose and uh, a focus, and that was a very happy time of my life. So it was your rainbow. It was. Yeah. yeah. We all need to have rainbows. I was wondering, Lee, did the novelty of being home without children responsibilities or child responsibilities ever wear off? Well, Actually, I began planning and transitioning into the next chapter of my life uh, before the kids left home. I got a job working part-time to improve my computer skills or learn computer skills. Uh, At that time, though, uh, it was known as word processing. So that shows you how long ago that was. (laughs) Just yesterday. (laughs) Exactly. Who knows what a word processor is now? I know. Well, you you kind of created your rainbow before you even made a transition. Yeah, I was thinking ahead. Yeah, I don't know that many of us do that. I was looking forward to the day, but I hadn't planned for the day. So I thought that I would sit here at home and be able to watch TV uninterruptedly, and that was wrong because <laughs> it was really boring for me. So tell us about how you decided to return to college. Well, I always knew that uh, one day I would complete my college education. I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do it, but it was something that was really important to me. And when the kids left home and got launched on their college careers, it was, uh, it was time for me. I was ready for the challenge, and I began taking some uh, advanced cla- math classes because math was not my thing. 
and I sort <laughs> I of put, off, put it off as long as I could. But I realized I had to prepare myself for the day. I had to take the uh, dreaded statistics and analysis class at Cal. So that's I, how I started. I cannot imagine doing that after leaving school for a while and then returning and having to do that. But you were really planning well in advance. And I wanted to know, I'm curious about, how did you go about applying for college? And I might have to break in the middle of your answer, but I'll, I'll let you know. So how did okay. you go about applying for college? Well, I knew that there was only one college that I was interested in, and that was UC Berkeley. Uh, it was that dream of mine to graduate from there. So that's where I began. I set that goal. Then the first thing I did was I gathered together all my transcripts from previous schools and submitted my application. And like most applicants, I waited anxiously for that acceptance letter to come in the mail. And fortunately, it did. Oh, my gosh. I love the way you thought about it, though. You waited for the acceptance. Many of us would sit around waiting for the, no, sorry, we don't have room for you, or there's something about your application that didn't, is not going to allow us to accept you. But you thought about your rainbow and you planned for it. And listeners, I hope that we can all take a lesson from that, because if we think negatively, usually negatively, negative things happen. But right now we have to take a hard break, and we will be back with Lee Martin in a few minutes. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here this morning with Lee Martin talking about her creation of an idea called Mid-Chapters. I love that idea. 
And we're also talking about rainbows and how to find our own rainbow. So welcome back, Emily. We were talking about how you applied for college, and I'm wondering if perhaps many of our listeners are saying to themselves, oh, I could never do that. I wouldn't know what to do. What was it like returning to school after so long an absence? Well, and surprisingly, it was relatively easy. I think because I was so motivated by my desire to continue my education. I was actually looking forward to studying, especially the subjects I was interested in. My library at home had all kinds of books about psychology and anthropology. And also archaeology, just to clarify again, archaeology is under the umbrella or it's a subgroup of anthropology. There's also cultural anthropology and social anthropology besides archaeology. Well, you certainly chose diverse and interesting subjects, and I, like you, went back to school at uh, an older age, so I can kind of relate, but I can certainly relate to the excitement of learning. It wasn't like I was in undergrad thinking, oh my God, when's school over? I was really loving my classes, and, and I used to think to myself, perhaps those younger than I hate me because I'm the old person <laughs> in the front row asking questions. <laughs> I try not to ask too many, but um, it was very, very interesting. I, I was wondering, because I did feel this, did you ever feel that your age was a factor? Uh, well, I did. Um Yes and no. Um, I was 18 or so years older than the incoming freshman students, and I, I think I did have an advantage uh, because I was more mature, or I, I thought I was, but I knew I was laser-focused on my studies, and I was not worried about whether or not I had a date for the upcoming weekend like <laughs> many, many of my classmates did. But uh, after the initial adjustment of going back to school, I, I found that being highly organized helped me more than anything else to tackle the study workload. I did all the reading assignments and more, took good notes, and my papers were always on time. So I think this was positive. And more than anything else, I was more comfortable interacting with the professors the teaching assistants, and other and graduate students, who I became friends with many of them. And I also took advantage of extra benefits, like a free speed reading course. And I found this posted on a bulletin board at the student union. Also, I took advantage of career counseling and internships. And I also signed up to play tennis twice a week with other students. And that was... Uh, really good exercise plus a stress reliever. Wow. You did some of everything, and I want to just add uh, an agreement that when I went back to graduate school, I uh, didn't have to worry about dates either. Could have cared less. I was wanted to do my papers. I became a teacher's assistant for two different professors. And it was just a joy. And then I think back to what I was like in undergrad school. And boy, I was thinking about when's the, the next party or am I going to go out on Saturday. 
So mm-hmm. for those of you who are listening who are uh, um, thinking about what your kids are going to do and when they're going to go to college, there's a lot of joy and a lot of relief in getting some new information, and it keeps us interesting. Have you found that? Absolutely. Yeah, because I know that offline I talked to you about archaeology, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, that's so interesting. So when you went back to school, how many classes did you take per quarter or per semester? Well, we were on the semester system, and I usually took five classes, sometimes four, if I was taking an internship as well. Five? (laughs) Yes. Occasionally, not not every semester. That was that was a pretty heavy uh, case of class load. Yes. But oh. uh, the internships I took, uh, one was in the Department of Archaeology, actually two, and I learned how to do lab work, which was a huge uh, bonus. And I also uh, took an internship at the Anthropology Museum, and I learned how to curate artifact collections. So my interest just kept going and going as I tried these different areas uh, of learning, and they were so beneficial. And I think I learned more through my internships than anything, and more importantly, I got to know many professors that I wouldn't have uh, known otherwise. And this is so important, because professors want you to have a good working relationship established with you before they will write you a recommendation to graduate school. So that's something to think about if you're considering graduate school. Get to know the professors in your field of study. Yes, and when you went to back to undergrad, um, uh, which are the first four years of college, did you do the same thing, Lee? Did you get to know your professors? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, through the internships, and that's, that's how I got my recommendations for graduate school was through my undergraduate professors, which Uh, some of them uh, actually uh, were uh, teaching uh, seminars in graduate school. So I already knew some of them. Yeah. Well, uh, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, wow, you just created your rainbow over and over and over again. You, You found new rainbows and then lived with them. I think that's so great and fascinating. Now, many... People who come to my office for therapy are in this situation, and they have a job, and they have no idea how to finance a college education or or to go back and study their dream. How did you finance yours? Well, for me, it was much less expensive then than it is now. I think it was about $2,000 per semester. And that was including books and parking fees, which is pretty cheap by today's standards. Well, that is, but back then, $2,000 was way more than it is today. Exactly. Yeah, so there are all kinds of ideas that we're going to talk about later. But any advice for those out there who would love to have more education but do not have the financial support that you did or the ability to pay for it, like financial aid? Any any thoughts about that? I do. Uh, First of all, uh, I would advise don't be afraid to put off going back to school just because it seems unaffordable. 
You need to take the time to find out if you qualify for any type of financial <clears throat> financial aid. If you do qualify, there are potential funding options to help pay your college education. Colleges award grants to qualified students in addition to those available through the government. There are scholarships, your grades, heritage, religious affiliation, and other factors may qualify you. Also, there are student loans. Speaking to your advisor is probably the best way to find out about private loans that are matched with a school of your choice. Also, ask about federal loans you may be eligible for. And there are military options. If you are or were in the military, be sure to ask the school you plan to attend what your funding options may be. There are ways to do it out there. You just have to investigate. Interesting. Because, as I said, many folks who I know who want to go back to school say, I couldn't possibly do that. And there's a community college, and that gives you the first two years not in, a, in a, a way that's not very expensive. And there's also online classes. And yes. I, I will say parenthetically from personal experience, though, an online class is, is really challenging for me. <laughs> but, um, there's all kinds of ways to reach out and create your rainbow. I'm also curious about, have your adult children ever told you what it was like to have their mom go to college at the same time they were getting their education? <laughs> Not really, but I think they were <laughs> amused. <laughs> well, I know they were amused, especially when my son and I took, a, and a, we took an advanced math class together. And even though we both received A's, uh, the only difference was I studied twice as hard as he did. Uh, he was out with his friends while I was still redoing the homework three times. Don't you hate that? I was the student who had to study, and then there were other students in my growing up history who could just like, okay, I get it, and pass the test with an A. But yes. I was always the one who had to really work. And uh, me too. It like your son kind of was one of those exceptional people who just did their thing. What yeah. did you love about going to Cal as an adult? Uh, uh, both my, par my parents went to Cal, and after the war, my dad attended law school there, and we lived close by. I remember going to Cal football games when I was growing up. And I always loved the beautiful old libraries, the Bancroft and the Doe, with their rare manuscripts and beautiful architecture. I just loved going in there and did my reading or just the ambiance of it. And the campus was so beautiful. I loved walking across the campus, and sometimes I had to do that uh, going to classes. There was quite a bit of walking. And something that was new to me was the, the exotic food trucks parked at lunchtime along Bancroft Avenue. Yes, the food was important. <laughs> <laughs> well, as one who knows UC Berkeley, I agree with you. It is a beautiful, beautiful campus with the Campanile, in, which is a clock tower in the middle. And, Lee, we're going to have to do a, a break. And, listeners, we will come back to you with Lee Martin on Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio in a few moments.
Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here with Lee Martin talking about going back to school as an adult and creating mid-chapters for yourself. And we were talking about UC Berkeley, and I was sort of reminiscing because we come to you from Northern California in the Bay Area, so most of us are familiar with UC Berkeley, but there are a myriad of other beautiful campuses. So if you're thinking about going back to school in a mid-chapter, explore those. Take trips. See where you want to hang out. And back to Lee Martin, I was wondering, what were your challenges going to school as an adult? I know that you got to to meet your professors and get to know them and had a great time, but what were your challenges? Well, believe it or not, commuting during heavy traffic times was a pain. (laughs) I hadn't thought about that before, but that from my house to the campus, there was a lot of heavy traffic uh, during commute times. But I avoided this problem if I had an 8 o'clock class by leaving home early and studying before. Or one of my favorite things was just going to the library and doing research. Hmm. My other challenges were at, at first I was a bit nervous. I thought that the younger students would be smarter and more prepared than I was. I didn't know if I could hold my own in class discussions because I'm, I'm a bit shy. But no problem. I loved it. Mostly the younger students either accepted me or ignored me. There were other older students around, so I wasn't alone in my desire to go back for school. to school, that's for sure. And I think uh, challenge-wise, I had to be real organized to get everything done. But it worked. 
I got good grades, and, and it made me it made me really happy to because I was rewarded for my work, which uh, is important. Keeps you going. Absolutely, and I think back of when I was an undergraduate student at the age of like eighteen or nineteen, and um, it was a struggle for me to find time because I was interested in so many things other than studying, like maybe finding a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But listener, you didn't hear that, listener. Uh, but <laughs> as an adult, you know, we come with a lot more wisdom than the the young adults. So if you're on the, the fence about whether I should even think about this, consider that. And, and think of yourself in a positive way. I think anybody out there can go back to college if you want to or start college. I'm also curious, I'm curious this morning, um, how did your husband feel about your study time? <laughs> he was fine with it. I usually study in the afternoon and after dinner in my home office. Plus, being self-employed, he always worked long hours. Hmm. Well, so you had plenty of time to study. How supportive Mm -hmm. was he to you, and what did that support look like? And I was so lucky. He was my biggest supporter. Even when I spent a summer abroad in Naples, Italy, studying and working in Pompeii and Herculaneum. It was a great experience, and I didn't have to think about anything else. I knew he was home holding down the fort, and uh, he was very supportive. You are lucky because I have patients who go back to school in an effort to improve the way they think about things or to increase their knowledge, and they don't have the support at home. And that's a relationship issue, which you did not have. And I would, I would think that before you do go back to school, it's time to see where your support is. And if it's not with your spouse or partner, get, go for outside support. Go for uh, extended family, people who will go, wow, that is, that is really neat that you're thinking of doing that and then tell them how they could be supportive to you. Maybe they could babysit or hang around with your teens while you're at class. I don't know. People have to think of their own ways uh, to be to get support if it's not readily available. I want to know what was your major and why did you select it? Given I, did a, I did a double major uh, psychology, and anthropology. When I first started, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a psychologist. So I had a backup plan, and that was anthropology, which in turn led to archaeology and a master's degree in cultural resources management, which is applied archaeology. So I had a wonderful opportunity to be able to take classes in both fields at the same time big benefit. Well, also you took four and five classes, Lee, and I, how many units is that? Sixteen? Mm, I don't remember. <laughs> I think there's three <laughs> There was a lot. Class. Yeah, that is so huge. Well, will you share with our listeners 
one of your college memories that you would describe as life-changing? Sure. The biggest life-changing moment for me was when I definitely decided I wanted to be an archaeologist. Suddenly, everything became crystal clear. The next thing I did after coming to this realization was I made an appointment with my college counselor, and I remember that day very well. There in her office, we sat down and mapped out the remainder of the classes I would need to complete in order to apply for graduate school. Step by step, I was getting there. Well, that, again, you had a lot of forethought about what to do and what you needed to do. And it did change your life, I think. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But you were planning on how to change your life from the time your children were in high school or, or how to add to your knowledge. And I think that's really impressively. Tell us about your graduation from college. Actually, I think you had two graduations. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, you had a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree. So let's talk about the master's degree. What was the day like when you were awarded your master's degree? What an accomplishment. <laughs> well, by the time the master's degree graduation came around, I was already working full-time on a big archaeological project, and I thought sitting through another ceremony was pretty anticlimactic at this time, so I chose not to go to that one. Receiving the master's degree in the mail was good enough at that time. Well, it was, it was good enough. I had it, but I was already working full-time, and uh, time-wise, uh, it didn't work out. But on the other hand, I went to both of my undergraduate ceremonies on the Cal campus. The first one at the iconic outdoor coliseum. And this was especially significant because of my dad. I was the only one of his five children to attend his alma mater. He missed his own graduation from Cal by a few months because of the beginning of World War II. What I remember most about that day was how proud my father was of me. It was special for both of us and worth all the hard work. Oh, that must have just been such a magnificent daily for your entire family to have you graduate from UC Berkeley, especially when your dad was. had to go off to war and could not. Yeah, it was, I, it was special. Yeah, I, I, I'm so happy for you. What's happened since you graduated with your master's and your bachelor's degrees? Well, a career as an archaeologist is, is pretty interesting, at least it was to me. Uh, I'd have Sometimes I'd have homeowner clients who just wanted to tear down an old house and build a new one on their property. They were usually very unhappy to find out that before they could get a permit, they had to hire someone like me to survey their property, do a site background check, take lots of pictures, and write an assessment report before they could begin work. I think this surprises a lot of people that uh, there are restrictions in getting permits. You have to protect cultural resources 
and that's one way it's mandated. One of the largest projects that I managed took about five years from start to finish was an underground pipeline from Concord to Sacramento. On this particular project, we encountered both prehistoric and historic sites along the route. Some were previous record, previously recorded and some were not, so I had to record everything we found. Uh, for example, in known site areas, archaeological monitors are placed so they can observe the ongoing construction work and keep from getting run over by big equipment. There are real safety issues, and we, we train thoroughly to make sure nobody gets hurt. While they're watching the dirt come out of whatever trench it is or uh, backfill, whatever they're doing, uh, they look for artifacts or bone material to appear in the soil. And the uh, many of the construction people are used to having archaeological monitors around. And so they're interested, too, and, and they usually watch pretty closely uh, for what's coming out of the soil. You know, so, we never think about this kind of thing, and from Concord to Sacramento is huge. Yeah, well, it was inhabited by Native Americans, you know, for 10,000 or more years. So they've left plenty of artifacts behind. So when the uh, equipment operators uh, or the monitors see something, the work stops immediately so the monitor can examine and determine if the bones are animal or human and if the artifacts are significant or not. If it's significant, the construction op operator can move his equipment to another location or he can just wait and watch. Or uh, until the uh, archaeologist has completed the inspection. And that, this is part of the mitigation process. And then the construction continues as soon as possible. We never want to hold up, hold up work if, if uh, we don't have to. Well, but there were cases where the pipeline free? intersected with a known site, either historic or prehistoric. And in those cases... An archaeological excavation or dig is undertaken ahead of time to determine if cultural resources are beneath the surface and in danger of being destroyed. On this particular project, it was recommended that the pipeline be rerouted in several areas to avoid cultural sites. And this is a real good example of uh, working together with the uh, builders of the pipeline and the needs of preserving cultural resources. You answered my question about if it's significant, what happens. And, you know, driving to Sacramento, I never see any, like, oh, here's a historical site and here's what it is. So huh. is it marked? What, the sites? The sites yeah, the are sites. all mapped. They're, they're mapped. They're on maps. They're not available for the public. I but see. they are uh, through the archives that we use. Every site that is recorded is sent to a repository, and then other archaeologists or people that need to know uh, where these sites are for some reason uh, okay. are able to access them. Well, we are coming up on a break, Lee, and listeners, we will be back with Lee Martin talking about mid 
chapters and rainbows. We will be back in a few moments. And I want to take this opportunity to remind everybody to go on the Internet and check out www.tornadobodydryer. Uh, I think uh, I know what you're going to say is that I didn't know something like this existed. And you're right. But I do, and I put one in my shower, and it is absolutely fantastic. You um, take your shower, you turn it on in the middle of your shower, and then... As you're winding down on your shower, you turn it up and you have warm air circulating all around you, drying you off, and you don't have to no fuss, no muss with a towel. And it also, interestingly enough, I leave mine on after I get out of the shower, and it dries the shower so you don't have the mildew and mold problem. So again, that's Tornado Body Dryer. You go to it on the website, take a look at it, and if you're interested, give them a call and... Uh, They'll fix you right up. Just tell them that you heard about it on America's Web Radio. So we appreciate that, and uh, we'll be back with Dr. Ann right after a couple of messages. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me and i am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not so fun experience moving call timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience around town movers for that local or cross-country move timothy around town movers in my opinion are the best that's around town movers Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here with Lee Martin this morning talking about life-changing chapters and going back to college and and creating a new rainbow and mid-chapter for yourself. And, Lee, as you look back on your college days as an adult, what are the three top experiences that changed your life? Well, that's easy. I would say the first one was that I actually was admitted to the college of my choice. A second one was I had the opportunity to explore my options 
by taking classes I was really interested in, and third, finding my career path by resetting my goals along the way. Hmm. What else? Any other thing? No, those are the top three. Okay. And, well, uh, it's, it's life-changing in some ways. And, and I know you got a job prior to graduation, but what happened after graduation? What was your job if you had one? Well, I had a part-time job working during school breaks for an archaeological consulting firm. And after graduation, they hired me full-time. It was a, a dream job and exactly where I wanted to be. Well, tell us about what you did there. Well, tell us about your work. Well, most people think of archaeology in terms of a dig or an excavation to uncover artifacts and bones from the past. Actually, that's only a small part of the job. We are mandated by law to assure that cultural resources are preserved and mitigated. Before you can ever dig or excavate the surface, there are certain steps that must be taken. You have to begin with a background research of the site area, that is, learning who lived there previously, including Native American people, Euro-American settlers, and other populations. A request must be made for archival information and a list of previously recorded sites in the area. An archaeological surface ground survey is done to determine where known sites exist and where possible sites may be located. Ground penetrating radar may be used to locate underground anomalies of a suspected site. Excavation is done only if the site is in the way of whatever disturbance or construction is planned in order to mitigate any cultural resources. Any artifacts found during field work are recorded, bagged, and labeled as to exactly what depth level and grid location they were found. <clears throat> this is called provenience. If a site is located on or near known Native American lands, appointed members of that tribe must be hired to monitor the dig site. Any artifacts found are brought to the office lab for processing and assessment. They are inventoried, photographed, and included in the final report. If human remains are found and determined to be prehistoric, they are analyzed, recorded, and turned over to the Native American monitors for tribal reburial. Of course, if a modern burial is encountered, the coroner is called immediately. Another aspect of archaeology is historic and architectural history. For example, before an historic building that is anything over 65 years, that includes us, can be demolished, it must be assessed for national register and state eligibility. The exterior of a structure is drawn to scale, architectural details fully described and assessed. This is the field I enjoyed the most and became proficient at it. Also, you must have technical report <clears throat> writing skills, knowledge of Section 106 laws, 
National Environmental Policy Act laws, and Native American Graves Protection Laws, to name a few. Other other types of archaeology include forensic, cultural, paleontology, architectural, and landscape architecture. Landscape archaeology. And that was what I did my thesis in. Well, I didn't even know all that went on. I, I was totally unaware about all of these different areas of what you did. And, and is this true nationally, or is this just in California? No, it's nationally. It's national. Yeah. So, the National so Register covers Go ahead. everything. And then each state has different eligibility requirements. Uh, for significance. Hmm. Well, that is sort of overwhelming to me because it's, again, something I didn't know, and it's another example of that, how we can learn things that we don't know that are interesting to talk about. I believe that you told me that after going through all of this and working, uh, that you're now retired. Why did you decide to retire? Well, after almost 20 years, and as much as I loved the job, from dealing with the clients, the project management, and to the finished reports, I could see that as a company grew, it was becoming national. I would be traveling more and taking on more mega jobs, requiring all my time and effort. With five grandchildren, it was time to retire and enjoy the next chapter. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, we all have next chapters, and isn't that exciting? So what do you do with your, I'll call it your fall chapter? What are you doing now? Well, besides visits with kids and grandchildren, I'm back in the dirt working in my yard, which has always been a hobby for me. Also having time to read and travel is a joy, and spending more time with friends. Well, and and do you do exercise? Are you on a structured schedule, or is it sort of what comes up? I, <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, no matter what life chapter you are currently in, there's always some kind of stress, whether it's declining health and financial resources or family issues. I intend to take my fall chapter as stress-free as possible. I'm going to continue what I love to do, and that includes skiing. I also think that my stress levels are lower because I now have more time to manage my time and be with friends and family. Well, uh, I wish I could say the same thing (laughs) because I'm obviously not retired and I'm still working and still have... Uh, a lot of stress in my life, which I have to take care of in a myriad of ways, like exercising and having a support group. And as we age, it's important to figure out how we are going to take care of ourselves and how we are going to alleviate our stress levels and what our hobbies are going to be. And you said your your yard is one of your hobbies, and I can't think of anything uh, more rewarding than getting out there in the soil. I'm tempted to ask you if you've found any bones in your backyard, but I won't. So. No, but I, I keep looking. <laughs> you keep looking? 
Well, you, you probably couldn't do an addition if you did. That's right. Um, would you say something about how you currently structure your days? Uh, uh, yes. Um, I have to say that my days are mostly unstructured. Uh, and that's the best part of my fall chapter. I manage my day around appointments and things that I have to do. I go to the gym three times a week, and then I use the time to read and cook and take walks, and I'm back working in the garden, digging in the dirt. Sounds restful to me. And what things are you looking forward to? You told us a little bit, but tell us again. I know skiing's one of them. Skiing is one of them as long as I, I can do it. Uh, but most most of the same, I think, is what I'm looking for um, forward to and enjoying and appreciating each day until the end of my rainbow. And until that day happens, uh, I'm just going to look ahead with a positive outlook and keep busy finding things to do and finding ways to help other people. I'm so grateful for everything I have, and it's just uh, good to to, uh, share it with others. Well, Lee Martin, I want to thank you so very much for being our wonderful guest today. You opened a whole new way of thinking about how to go through different chapters in, in one's life. And... I, for one, have never heard of the term mid-chapter, and I hope you trademark it, and I hope you write a book about your experiences and how to walk through empty nesting and retirement with grace and excitement. And listeners, make your mid-chapter part of your rainbow. Follow your heart. Do what you always wanted to do. Rainbows open us to possibilities and dreams. Open yourself up to your potentials. Remember... We never know where our rainbows will end. Until next week, this is Dr. Ann Schiebert underscoring our usual sign-off that only you can create your world the way you want it to be. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.